Hello, and welcome to the show. This is the Goodwin Podcast, and I'm Nico, your host. Today's about rhythm, and I'm going to approach it in many different ways, or at least that's the plan, and we'll see what unfolds. I seem to get this reminder from the universe or from myself to slow down. Not just to slow down, but to fill the space behind my eyes. What I mean by that is to not just to actually, like, I guess focus is a way of describing it, but it doesn't have to be a pinpoint laser focus. It could be the kind of focus where you see in panoramic view, but yet there's sharpness, there's detail, there's a actual taking in. I had a teacher one time kind of highlight the different, different types of consciousness and there's that spotlight consciousness where you look at one thing and the rest seems to blur out almost like portrait mode on an iPhone and how that's associated with more of a frontal lobe, um, critical thought type consciousness. I'm sure there's, I always get confused between the types of waves, alpha, theta, beta. And then there's the more panoramic or flood consciousness, the floodgate consciousness where there's a receptiveness to more, the, the more sensory. And maybe this includes more than just the visual. And they were saying that this floodgate consciousness is associated with more of the parasympathetic uh, temporal parts of the brain. Now, I don't know how much value there is to separating the brain. I, I think the body and the mind works holistically and our attempt to understand it is through dissecting it, cutting things up and labeling it into different parts. So even though there's, we learn in any neurology class, the different parts of the brain, I think there's just so much unknown. And I think we might be getting further and further away from the truth when we divide and label as opposed to what we think we're doing, which is better understanding. I think unification of seemingly separate things is where the wisdom lies. But that caveat being said, part of the blessing or the relaxing part of nature is you'll look into a forest and it's hard to focus on one thing not impossible, but you look into a forest wall and there's few straight lines. There's many different leaves 
and layers of light and shadow. And therefore, there's a natural relaxation of the eye. It takes in more than the focused view. And this is part of the criticism with screen world that we live in, is that it keeps us in this more focused frontal lobe consciousness, more of the spotlight consciousness. So it's a non-metaphysical way of, of looking at one of the, of the benefits of nature. And it feels like a slowing down. Because when I realize that I'm, ki- I'm kind of in a fog of consciousness or I'm, I'm very attached to my thoughts, usually to fill the space behind my eyes or to be more fully in presence, there's like a sinking of energy or like a slowing down which can also help me speed up. But there's a a relaxation. There seems to be a relaxing of the jaw and the shoulders and the, the voice, the belly. And I, I literally feel like I'm feeling the space behind my eyes. There was a particularly potent ayahuasca ceremony I had in the jungle in Iquitos, maybe ceremony number five, six, seven. And I was laying back. This is a Peruvian ceremony where you can be more relaxed and lay back. You're in the dark completely. And I had this mental image that there was this space in my forehead or in my mind or yeah, it felt like it was in my mind and different beings would come and temporarily fill that space. And some of those beings would want to experience joy. Some would want to experience what it felt like to have a body again. Some would want to experience fear or terror. Some would want to experience sadness, laughter. It seemed like there was no end to the to these beings. It felt like they were lining up to kind of enter my mind. And it got to the point because not all of them were were positive. Some of them really scared me. And that I then began to learn that I could actually fill that space that I perceived in my mind with my own presence. And therefore, these quote unquote beings, entities, whatever, emotions, couldn't come in and have their way with me. It felt like I could fill that space by being present, by like sitting up or 
stepping up or stepping into the light or uh, like feeling like presence. And I think once I figured that out, I was actually, I ended up having a really powerful ceremony that night where in, in certain yoga classes and certain meditation uh, techniques, they, they'll ask you to bring your gaze to your forehead, your third eye. Some will have you bring your gaze to the tip of your nose or to look down uh, with semi-closed eyes. I never fully understood that, but in this ceremony, I remember looking up into that space, into that third eye space and, and resting my gaze up there. And, uh, that meant something at the time. It was some sort of presence. And this has actually been a recurring theme in ceremonies ever since and in my life ever since is noticing when I'm drifting away from myself. And this drifting away is a lot of times uh, identifying with the story or the stream of thoughts in my mind in with my imagination. And then coming back to the present or coming back to filling that presence uh, with what feels like me, what feels like myself. Whereas my thoughts almost feel like not me, not the true, the truest form of me. So this concept of like calm, but ready. There's this slowing down. There's this relaxation that occurs just before I'm able to kind of step into my life, really, the present. And breathing, <sighs> taking a deep breath can sometimes create the environment so that I can better step into this presence. And more often than not, in ceremony, now knowing this little piece of wisdom, now knowing that I want to step into my presence as often in my life as possible. That's like the simplest goal I have with my life is to constantly return to what is to the presence. Um, Ram Das, power of now, Eckhart Tolle, pow power of now. Um, there is really something to that. It's the best place to act from. It's It turns mundane tasks like brushing your teeth into purposeful, meaningful, enough. It makes things enough. It shifts the obsession of being in my mind and in my thoughts. It allows me to live through other other lenses. I spoke about this not in a previous episode, but sometimes I look at at the at the chakras, which again does it separates the body into different places, and and maybe that's a little further from the truth than looking at it as a holistic organism. 
but it could be a useful tool nonetheless. And I'll look and I'll notice when I'm in my mind or in my thoughts to the point where it's doing me no more good. And then, of course, that settling, that slowing down, that relaxation. And then I'll just start to bring my awareness to maybe my chest, where some would call your heart center. Or I'll bring it into my belly, or I'll bring it into my genitals. And oftentimes the thoughts that I'm caught up in may direct where I want to bring that, that awareness. So if I'm, if I'm in a, a, a fantasy world of sex and I can't stop thinking about women or beautiful men or missed sexual opportunities where I wish I acted a different way. Um, that's what have taken that risk or I would have tried, uh, or any, or any fantasy of, of like desire sexually, I'll bring my awareness to my genitals. It'll be kind of the indicator of like, okay, let's go there and see what's up. And I'll just feel into that space. And it doesn't talk like the brain. It doesn't talk through words. It's, it's almost speaking through sensation, which is actually a little bit easier to manage. It's in Vipassana, they would say it's easier to bring equanimity which equanimity is non-judgment. It's not having to call it good or bad. If, if I bring my awareness to my hands right now, uh, I just got done with jujitsu so I can feel particular sensations through my fingers, but I, all in all, I feel a slight buzzing sensation. And that buzzing sensation isn't too loud. It's more subtle. And it's it was, it's more difficult to label good or bad. I'm inclined to label it good because it's it feels like life, you know, life in my body. But I don't even have to do that. I can just more easily approach this equanimity. So rhythm, sinking into this or sinking in or rising into this presence, sinking into relaxation to rise into presence, this calm but aware, this relaxed but focused lifestyle, it, it one, helps me sink into the rhythm, syncopate or like sync with a S-Y-N-C, and that's where the magic seems to happen. There seems to be like this God, which is a loaded word or nature. There seems to be a rhythm that once I'm able to settle into that requires a certain amount of relaxation, but that before I get to relaxation, like I said, in ceremony, sometimes I'll have to get lost for hours. Like I'll sometimes go away and get in, in my mind and get lost for hours just to remember the same lessons, to remember to relax but rise, like calm but present. It seems to be a paradox, but they somehow go together. And, and it doesn't mean slow. But 
slow seems to be have it seems to be my learning for the past some odd years i don't know if if it's an american thing i think so there was a i heard about a study and it's like they would measure the time where a light turned green till a person would honk their horn and of course, New York had the shortest amount of time. It was almost, it turned green for half a second. There would be a horn honk. And then more rural areas, there would be like seconds. Some people would never even honk, maybe in the Midwest, whatever. Or I'll be standing in a grocery store line and it's just, you know, you're, if your credit card gets declined or if there's something wrong, like, and there's a line, you feel nervous. You feel like you're taking away people's time. There's this built-in urgency, and maybe that's from part a sense of progress or prosperity. Technological innovation seems to be bound to a sense of, of efficiency and speed. And it feels European, it feels American. Because, for example, when I lived in, in South America, in Argentina, one of the things I was most shocked by was this lack of urgency. And with that meant it was okay to be late. And there were a few people who tried to deny it, who almost overcompensated by being hyper punctual or being very clear about how they felt about felt about being on time but that was rare like the general aura of the society was just so much slower so much more carefree than than what i had experienced previous in america where there's almost a sense of nerves in the atm line if, or anywhere where there's a line like being efficient and I remember being, I took the bus everywhere in South America. And that's where I really noticed people taking their time, where I really had to analyze my sense of patience and and consequently impatience. And it must have been like my first or second week down there, but I get on the bus and I'm going to my job down there, which was teaching English at a school. And we were driving along. I was standing. The bus was crowded. And the bus comes to a stop, and, it, and it's not at a stop. It just got done at a stop. It pulls back out into the road, and it comes to a, sh a stop. And, and I look out the front window, and it's just a car parked in the center of the road. And... The driver was just talking to someone on the sidewalk in the middle of the road. And being a foreigner, like, I'm not going to say anything, of course. It's not my place. But I remember looking around and being like, who is freaking out right now? Who's late? Who's 
like who's antsy, who really wants to say something, who's angry. And I couldn't find one face. I couldn't see one person who was as offended as I thought people would be. No one seemed to mind that this one car was holding up an entire bus full of people simply just to have a conversation, not pulling off to the side of the road so they can have the conversation, just having a conversation. And that was just so foreign to me. I just, I can't imagine. I couldn't fathom that not even one person was being like, oh, or what the, what the fuck is this person doing? There was just none of that. Almost an indifference. But I appreciated it. It's a lack of efficiency outside of the, outside of the USA. And I haven't spent much time in, in Europe, but outside of the USA and in South America, in Southeast Asia, there's just, there's a lack of efficiency, but people are far more relaxed about it. And I'm sure that has its pros and its cons. I mean, if you want to get something done, I mean, I've heard one of the worst places for efficiency is like India. Um, people have said that about Dubai, but I don't fully understand that because it's it seems really innovative and it seems like they've adopted a lot of like the technological innovation that would go with a sense of efficiency. But I heard if you want to get like anything done through legislation, like you just you wait. <laughs> you just you're at the mercy of time. And I think that there's clear benefits of that, you know, approaching it from an American USA perspective. And it's just like, oh, there is a relaxation that seems to, it, it works for me, allowing people to kind of show up with like late or at their own time without even a hint of spite. That's one thing I loved about contact improv. I've gone to, you know, I've done many classes, yoga classes, uh, jujitsu classes, and work CrossFit, non, you know, whatever. College, a whole college full of classes. And contact improv was the one place where you can show up at any time throughout the, throughout the three-hour gathering. And it was okay. It, there wouldn't even be one side-eyed look at you. It was really, it was truly free in that sense. Um, now, granted, it was a donation base, but I, that's even that even fed into the sense of freedom even more. There was no explicit like obligation or pressure to be anything besides yourself, and I value that. That's so much. I, I think there is a place for for structure, um, and the structure is depends on the context. But when it comes to something like dance or like 
martial arts or something that should be enjoyable. A party, for example. I've noticed when I've had, you know, people over for a party, um, I'll say, you know, arrive around two-ish or three-ish, let's say. And when people don't show up by like four or five, I do feel that American urgency of like taking it personal or whatever it is. And I'm glad I have a practice like contact improv so that I can reflect to a place that I know would be very accepting and allowing of people to arrive on their own time. And really that's what I want anyway. If I'm having a gathering of fun, relaxing and enjoyment, then allowing people to really come at their own time in the most fun and relaxing way, it just sets the tone for the rest of the night. But I do have this kind of internal battle of like, um, structure and control, I suppose, wanting things a, a certain way and then having to become aware of that and then mitigate it. So rhythm, allowing people to be at their own rhythm, acceptance of people's rhythms. It may help me identify my true rhythm as well. It may allow me to go at my own rhythm, which I can be more fully present so I can be relaxed so that I can rise up to that presence and that I can just enjoy the ride a little bit more. It feels like almost like a young man's desire for control when someone gets too like critical or, or timely to the sense where they're willing to ruin the experience because of lateness. Like, I have been punctual. I do I do tend to show up on time. And uh, that's dangerous because it gives me the uh, sense like I can judge others who don't show up on time to places. But it's, yeah, that's dangerous. That's a slippery slope. So how do I do the thing that I value without creating that expectation on someone else? And to fully unpack it, when do I put up that expectation? Because I can't just be a pinball, you know, bouncing off uh, uh, other people. So I have to, when there is a time, sense of urgency or when time, a timely fashion is important, which some circumstances it is, being able to communicate that up front and um, maybe put up a boundary if someone's not able to uphold that. But also relaxing if it's really non non consequential. And just a note on contact improv. So the contact improv that I practice primarily, they don't use music. So the the beauty of that is you know you're dancing but there's no external music. So it's almost like you kind of creating your own rhythm 
And I think there's something, anything that's not normal, of course, that's not harmful. But most people dance to music. They dance to an external or imposed rhythm. So to dance without music is kind of beautiful. And it like helps me see what rhythm I'm operating at. And therefore, I can, from that understanding or that awareness, I can then change the the rhythm as I see fit. And talk about beneficial for, you know, combat or, or jujitsu, like rhythm, timing beats speed. I think Conor McGregor has, I mean, many people have said that, but Conor McGregor said it most recently. That's how I've heard it. And, and he's one of the best strikers. And he's kind of confusing to me because he's not the most athletic. He's athletic and, and really talented, but he, his timing is impeccable because he, he's a counter puncher and the ability to predict or see and then react without hesitation at the proper timing, like rhythm in athletics is, is so important. I, I think about like a wide receiver running a route and, you know, you can feign like you're going slow, like it's going to be a running play and then increase the rhythm and that can put someone off of their rhythm. So a lot of times like in basketball or like football or or fighting, it's you create a rhythm and you want someone to be in your rhythm. You want to kind of control the rhythm, control the the rhythm, kind of control the fight. And, and then you break it. You do something unsuspecting or off rhythm to get an edge or to get an angle. And I love looking at this stuff. Like I love approaching jujitsu from a rhythm perspective and knowing when to relax and to sink my weight and, um, and control, control the rhythm, control my sense of urgency or do something off timing so that I can catch a submission or catch someone off guard to put them in a position where I can create points or, or win, I suppose. But that being said, with Contact Improv, I would love the inclusion of some music as well, because there's there's there is a beauty in surrendering to a because Contact Improv is is cooperative in a in a lot of ways, and if you can both kind of conform to an external rhythm if there was an external beat uh, i've played contact improv where it's been like so fun having music because there is kind of like this conformity as the word i'm thinking of but it's almost like you're both it's almost like a relationship a healthy relationship where uh, in my mind you both kind of serve a higher sense of purpose, but you still come together to collaborate. Music in this example would be like the higher being or the higher sense of purpose. And from the acknowledgement of that or the acknowledgement of like the altar or whatever, you can kind of come together and play within that space. So if anyone from Contact Improv is is listening, um, you know, maybe we do a music 
a music day once a month or in Minnesota, there's a contact troupe that does live music. I think once a month, last time I went, they had an accordion player, which was fine. It was fine. And just like always doing something like always having contact without music. Again, I can't, the dancing without music, creating your own rhythm is not being sold out here. It's so cool. It's so good, but doing it only one way. It's like, it's like only eating buttered noodles, which is great. I think buttered noodles was my favorite food for like 25 years straight. But sometimes you need a little salsa. You need a little salsa. Little sauce, little sauce, little salsa. A little flavor, a little change up. So, just a feed, just a little bit of feedback. So let's get into some comments from. There's a TikTok video, and well, before before. I do that. I did make another note that I want to talk about as it pertains to rhythm. And this is another thing I kind of learned, um, more clearly or crystallized in an ayahuasca ceremony where the service of stillness or the service of waiting until action is needed. Because rhythm, it has pauses. It has, like in music, it's not just the beats, it's the space between beats, which creates the song. And like this, music, service, can also require non-doing, or non-action, and waiting. The path to heck is paved with good intentions. And I think there's just such an eagerness to help, to find purpose through doing. Like I, I, I reflect when I was a young man and I see some young men now and, and they're just so eager to help. And to them, helping is some sort of action, even if the action is like listening, they want to be there to hear your problems and to be part of it in a way. And that's, there's great intentions there. Because a lot of people do need a shoulder to lean on. They do need an ear that'll hear them. But this eagerness it seems to be I, I, reflecting on myself. I, I, I wanted to be, you know, um, I, I wanted to teach. I wanted to to share my knowledge. I still do very much, but there's an over helping 
there's an over eagerness and it's not and it's i had to learn the service of waiting until i can actually be of service that does for the greater for the greatest good a good teacher waits until the student is ready to hear what they have to say and that seems to be challenging to me but you know challenging to many and i don't know if it's a man thing i think men do want to feel a sense of purpose they our self-worth might be bound to to feeling useful and there might be blurred lines between the genders there but like i look at at my dad and and just so he like there's just a, a archetype of like men uh mansplaining right and the mansplaining really comes from an eagerness to help and then the criticism of that is with poor timing with poor rhythm that eagerness can ha- to help acts as a hindrance it does the opposite So I remember sitting and I think like even my intention was how do I serve, you know, how do I serve love with the frame of like what can I do to serve? And the the message was learn to wait until action is necessary. Learn patience, you know, learn slowing down until until i can actually you know actually be of service so i think that's a very valuable uh message that's often overlooked is the service of waiting until the until the right time until the proper timing okay so answering a few comments i had a video do um pretty well it it did really well it has 1615 comments today and um it's things i wish i knew before 30 part 23 and let's play a little bit of it because i kind of can't remember what it is i knew before 30 part 23 stop giving your energy to those who don't value it stop having hard conversations with people that don't want to change Stop showing up for people who are indifferent at your presence. Okay. So the video goes on for another 45 seconds or so. Um, but that's the that's the general. I'd basically unpack that um, in as best I can in 45 seconds in, in a minute clip. And uh, let's go into the comments. Rue Saint, who has a blue check mark next to that. Oh my gosh. That's so cool. That is cool. I'm not trying to belittle it. That does feel good, even though I know it's a weird ego thing. And that's okay. That means that they put in work to acquire a certain amount of uh, followers to uh, whatever, to get a blue check mark. So Rue Saint said, this video is more functionally educational than a whole semester in uni. Um, 
Yeah, I don't think that maybe is sociology talk about relationships, psychology, maybe psychology courses might talk about relationships in my the courses I took about psychology. They weren't as much self-awareness as as much they were identifying like trends. I remember like learning the Pavlovian theory of like you know the dog's wa- uh, mouth watering at the ringing of a bell because there had been a previous association with the bell and supper time. Uh, and yeah, you can reflect that on. Okay, so thanks. That's that's just a, kind of a nice comment. Again, I don't read these comments beforehand. This is my first take on these comments. So a, a lot of them uh, will be good. They'll be bad. Some of them will be questions, I hope. I give it to my bed. That's the top comment of this video by Lil Ohm 13 meaning... Um, they just, when they're frustrated and they feel like no one's there for them or they've been hurt, instead of taking it out on them, they, they go and they, they beat up a bed. And I, I've definitely been there. I, um, pretty embarrassing, pretty, I wonder if this is appropriate. So I've had an ex-girlfriend in the past and I remember being sexually frustrated more, you know, more because my expectations, not because of her necessarily. But I remember like also not knowing how to ask for the sex that I wanted. And there just just like another night had gone by and we haven't we didn't get physical and we didn't I didn't get to like have sex. And so like I went outside into the uh living room and I mounted my futon and did work on the pillows. I don't know if it helps. I don't know if, if that expression of like, of release, I like play as a, as release, but when the play adopts a certain amount of aggression, I think it can be that kind of destructive suffering that we've talked about in previous episodes. Um, as opposed to the constructive pain, the constructive uh, suffering. So just a reminder I needed. Uh, I already knew this before 30. This is nice. This is important. People are great. I, I think TikTok, they really do a good job at getting people, identifying the kind of content that is drawn to people. And this pretty much allows an influx of positive comments. Um, whereas Twitter, even though my following is significantly, significantly lower, I've posted things and I've gotten only negative comments, um, which was strange because the, the majority of comments on TikTok are positive. Now there is, if you're new to TikTok, there is a setting where you can filter out any perceived negative comment. And I turned that off because I wanted to encourage people to, um, comment whatever whatever they wanted you and S- we the we the tuckers said you and at sad poppy should link up the eyes 
that have seen some things. Sad Poppy is like a chef. It's like a TikTok famous chef. Um, he actually has really cool content because uh, he kind of interweaves a little bit of, I guess, sadness. That's what it, um, I guess that's what he's saying. So Sad Poppy, if you're listening to this, uh, I'm open to a collaboration. What would be cool to do with a chef? Any collaboration I'd want to meet up, so I don't even know where they, they exist in the landscape. But check out their content. S Qualex E S Q A O S Alex. Honestly, I don't think I could have resonated with a video more. It was annoying to me how accurate it is, but my man, true words have never been recorded. Okay, really nice. Um, thank you, thank you for your comment. Joe HTX said, "Been watching your videos. Now I don't talk to nobody." <laughs> so a lot of my videos, um, that's a, that's a really great comment because a lot of my videos have been about self-empowerment. I think my, another previous popular video is that no one is going to save you. And I kind of unpack, um, how to be responsible and take responsibility for your own life. And, um, Dang, that's not the overall message. The overall message is to build your sense of self-worth, self-respect, responsibility, so that you can approach relationships more fully, so that you can approach relationships and give them the best chance to uh, serve uh, each other sy like symbiotically and, and create long-lasting, trusting relationships. That certainly is the goal, but maybe that requires a little bit of, uh, of isolation. Maybe, uh, I hope not for too long. Okay. How do you pronounce this? Lily Nana Jong Kim, Jiong Kim, Lily Anna, wait, Lily Anana Jiong Kim said very valuable comments. Own energy is very important but I'm not fully agree with you. Maybe there are people that need your attention. Yeah, maybe you can help others. I, I take these comments, I do read the comments and I take them, I, I do try to sit on them and take them seriously. Um, what comes to mind is like, is maybe an antiquated belief that I have to shift that really there's no helping others like until they're ready to help themselves. And I think if someone is willing to be helped, then of course you can help them. It might be just what they need. And I speculate on how do you know someone needs help? especially if they can't seem to ask for help. Because I think of like young men, old men, and not being able to admit they need help. So having the awareness and the empathy and the, and the, yeah, the self-awareness to be able to help someone who doesn't even know how to ask for help. 
it might be a risk worth taking. That's, I mean, that's a really solid point. And everything I, I kind of say, I mean, there's just so much nuance and there's, there's a counter to just about everything. But all in all, the purpose is to address people that, in this particular video, people that aren't able to reciprocate, that don't want to change. It's not your responsibility to help them. Especially if you're sacrificing yourself in the process. Magic Shiki, Shiki said, that's a very solid video on tips, but young people will not understand it. I operate on the basis that young people will. Um, there was a point where I really rejected the idea of like baby talk or, or talking. Um, yeah, just, you know, ba like toddlers. I like to talk to them like this, exactly how I'm talking. And it's almost weird because all, like, you know, anyone will kind of change their voice and, oh my God, that's so good. And even if I was going like, to, I'm like, oh, that's good. Nice job. I, I kind of assume the intelligence of, of young people. Because I think that's what I craved when I was younger is to kind of be seen with a sense of equality. Um. I think I think some under uh, young people will understand that. Bitcoin earned said part 1053 things I wish I knew before 40. Stop putting energy in TikTok, ride a bike instead. <sighs> yeah, okay. I, um, I love physical exercise and I also love creating content. I enjoy it. Furthermore. Okay. So, so I understand the sentiment is, is there's a destructive nature of social media and people ought to spend time um, doing things they love and how I approach social media most recently is I create more than I consume. And maybe what I create enables people to consume. That would be a, a good argument to what I'm about to say. But personally, I like creating this content. I like sharing this sense of wisdom. Go back to episode one to maybe hear all the reasons why I do the things I do. Um, but that's kind of my tactic is to, I can't be riding a bike all day. Plus it's cold. Um, you know, I already, I went for a hike today. I did some jujitsu. I don't want to go for a, I don't want to go for a bike ride. Bitcoin earned. I want to make a podcast right now.
Let's see, maybe we do three or four more. Mark Hill Taco said, good advice. How can I apply this to a career in politics? I have no idea is my first instinct. I'm having a hard time. I mean, my political campaign is go, is not going well. I didn't get voted into office in 2020 at all. And I think a lot of what I'm sharing on this podcast, uh, you know, it might hinder my uh, political campaign in the future. You know, as soon as I decide, you know, I turn 45, 50, 70, 76, and I'm like, okay, it's time. It's time to be president. And then someone pulls up the porn episode where I, I talk about, um, you know, different styles of, of stroking and, and humping. You think that's going to go well in the, in the, in the popular election? Um, how will this help you in a career of politics? Maybe it'll help you not have a career in politics. I, please don't take that advice. P- we need people to care about politics. And we need people to pave the path to hell with good intentions. Okay? And to try. To to serve because politics is about service. So how can you apply this to a career in politics? Keep orientated on your goal of service as best you can become aware when greed sets in and allow yourself to be, you know, to start practicing knowing when enough is enough so that you take just the right amount of greed that serves you but you still are serving the population on a whole more so. You're creating more than you're consuming. But that doesn't apply to the video because the video is about not letting other people, you know, parasite off of you. And I think the best way to do that is to stay orientated. Afra, one, two, three. AF. R A A A A A H one, two, three, a coworker invents problems for me. When I decide not to give in to her toxic banter, some situations just are amazing advice. Nonetheless. Oh, I'm, I'm like, I'm struggling with this. I've for so long now, I've, I've, there's been, I've been so rigid on not talking about people behind their back. And I have adopted the mantra, what people think about you is none of your business. And it's, it kind of allows me to disassociate with anything that people are saying about me. But now that I'm getting more ingrained into a community, I'm, my roots are being set and I'm, and I'm in the same places with people. I'm not as transient. It feels like it does matter. It feels like it does matter what people are saying about me. And um, it's tough. You know, it makes me want to say things behind others' backs and uh, participate in the game. 
uh, in a way that I never would even consider beforehand. I don't think it's necessarily healthy, but something that I, I use for like little bits of hating or trolling, or if I'm putting out a piece of content and someone's hating is like, uh, that Barnum and Bailey's quote, um, say whatever you want about me, just spell my name, right? Basically like, um, if you're going to talk about me, you're empowering me in a sense, but it's tough. Oh, it's really tough when you hear people are talking behind your back and they won't even address you. And, uh, I am going through it. I feel you. Jam Junction FM says, I really struggle with this dude. I want the best for my parents, but they don't want me to change. So much potential, it makes me sad, but they don't want to change. Oh, you're out to change your parents? Ooh. That is an uphill battle. Our parents are our most common target because they're our most clear reflection of what we think we can become, of what we, of how we see ourselves. So because we spend so much time with our parents and because we see their flaws and we know the hurts that they have caused us, no matter how good of a job they did, um, you know, the criticism of our parents is just something that needs to be overcome. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't, the blame is so self-destructive and really has no place for you building your own self-esteem, self-worth, how your parents are living is ultimately not going to increase your self-worth or decrease your self-worth. It is up to you. And no amount of trying to change. I mean, this whole episode has kind of been about not changing people that aren't ready or being able to wait until someone is ready to see your perspective. Um, all I can say is trying to change your parents is an uphill battle. It's best to lead with gratitude and see all the things they've done for you to keep you alive and to keep you safe and to operate your relationship with them from that place. And once they start seeing that consistency over time, that consistent gratitude over time, they'll be more receptive to hearing your advice. Okay, we'll do two more. Gio Tsao. Giat Sao. G-E-O-T-S-A-O-U. Maybe Brazilian. Who am I? If I won't help my best friend be saved from his own demons, I will be garbage if I do that. Don't be so absolute. Yeah. Don't be so absolute. But the most likely candidate for your friend to save, to be saved from his demons is your friend. Um, we all have demons that we have to either conquer or that will kill us in this lifetime. And 
you can't fight those for your friend. This goes back to the previous comment. You're going to be able to help people in your life. You're going to be able to show up for people in your life. There's no doubt. But there's a certain amount of waiting and ready and patience so that you can be of best service. And to be constantly involved with someone who is not willing to help themselves as you see fit, um, it's, it's, it's a drain. It's a drain on you. All right. N. Bim. How do I find new acquaintances if I'm an introvert? I cannot stop it. I was just talking about this with a close friend. This is the be- this is the strategy to build friendships. Step 1. Find out what you like. Truly, 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 truly what do you want to do? What will you continue to show up for if no one was cheering you on? If is it I mean is it music, guitar, is it playing video games, is it hopscotch, is it is it talking on the internet about a certain topic, is it anime, is it your favorite TV show, is it a collectible antiques car. What do you like to do? What is it? And it doesn't have to be what do you like to do forever. What do you like to do right now? What is it? Do that thing. Doing that thing will lead you to places where others are doing that thing. We live in the internet age where there is a group for everyone. Go to that place. Show up consistently, which you'll do anyway, because you like to do that thing. By showing up consistently and not even saying a word, relationships will build over time. By showing up consistently and not even saying a word, people who also show up will start to trust you. When people start to trust you, and see that you're making an effort and showing up. Either they'll reach out or you'll be empowered in a particular moment to reach out and to say something. And maybe you go grab some food. Maybe you just have a conversation about the thing that you're doing, which you already like and which you'll already be doing because you like to do it. So step one is answering who are you? What are you about? Finding this out. Showing up for that thing. If it's video games, I I don't personally know, but I know Twitch is huge. I know that you can probably join some clans or guilds and get to know people electronically. 
and that might satisfy you. Now, as far as physical relationships, which I think are important, there's a site called meetup.com. And I'd, I'd bet that your video game that you play, many other people play it. And there might be a group that meets up just to talk about that specific game or that specific console. You can show up to that. And particularly if you're an introvert, continue to show up. You don't have to say anything necessarily to build trust. In fact, some people might even like you way more if you uh, show up consistently and are silent and respectful. So that is my strategy. I forgot where I, how many more I said I do, so this will be the last one. But there's so many good comments, you guys. I appreciate these comments just so much. And, um, you know, this opportunity to, to think in a unique perspective. And, um, yeah, to see things from a different perspective. Lovely 82.0. I guess this will be the last one. But what if the person is close to me, like a sister? What do I do? Oh, geez. Well, oh my gosh. My, my sister and me have this relationship. Or rather, this lack of relationship. To be very, very vulnerable, the last message she sent to me was, you're dead to me. Oh, maybe I shouldn't have shared that. But I did. And it's true. And, um, so I don't know your situation. I don't know if you're living with your sister, if you're still at that age or if you guys are in separate houses, but for me, (laughs) and this, I mean, this isn't a solution. I'd like to have a relationship with my sister. Vanessa, if you're listening, um, I do, I do pray like during ceremony, I do think about having a relationship. I do seek a, a sister, a sisterhood um, in in my friendships with women, and that's been like my satisfaction or replacement, if you will, uh, is this older sister vibe that that I have craved at, at different times. But and this is this is my perspective. Um, there's just not the ability to see each other eye to eye or there's too much pain from the past that has gone unaddressed. And until we can have that conversation, I suppose, or until certain things are realized until we both, until I'm going to try to stay as balanced as possible, but until she can accept the love that I would be willing to give her at this stage. Um, I have to just accept the fact that we are not in relationship, in a physical relationship or an open line of communication. So the short answer is acceptance, but it's not necessarily the satisfying answer. And the satisfying answer is unknown to me because um, I haven't been able to live it or to prove it in in my relationship with my sister. Now, the relationship with my brother is 
if they're maybe on a if he's on a path that you know, and my, and my brother is at this unique age where, you know, he's a young man um, trying to find his own. He's six years younger than me. And, you know, he doesn't necessarily reach out or call me. There are times as an older brother, I feel like I've sacrificed. I've kind of stepped into like a parent or uncle role, like many of you nephews. And I have given a certain amount of sacrifice that I've chosen that he won't be able to kind of reciprocate or he hasn't been able to reciprocate yet as the younger brother, as the younger brother, as a young man. Um, and I could probably do better at communicating this with him, but because we have a relationship of trust and a foundation of, I love you, I can be, give him criticism and feedback and not be afraid that he's going to leave or um, I'm going to be alone. So is there a way to connect through trust, through understanding without being overly corny? Love is an answer. Um, If you can approach that place of love, usually through respect and gratitude for your sister Maybe you'll be able to communicate what's bothering you and maybe there'll be a a change over time with patience and persistence. Or maybe you step away from the relationship, which means whatever it means to you, not maybe helping them with particular tasks that they become accustomed to you doing for them. Um, Maybe not being overly responsive if if they're not going to appreciate you and, um, and and creating a space and accepting the space that's necessary uh, for, for uh, the potential of a more beautiful relationship to arise. I hope that helped. And like I said, there's many, many more comments and I would love to go through all of them, but, uh, time, the time is nigh. Thank you so much for being here and spending this time with me and appreciate you guys so much. If you'd like to support the show, consider subscribing to OnlyFans where I put out exclusive content. I answer one-on-one questions. Um, I'm, I'm creating, uh, more content around my movement practice and some things you can do to create a more balanced life physically, not just this mental, mental, uh, you know, the dirt that goes with the clouds, the land and the air. So I'm putting out a lot of good content on there. I'm, I'm, uh, and it's a great place to connect one-on-one and, the subscription would mean in the world and it would again help me accomplish a goal of uh, bringing the bison population back to the Midwest to heal the soil and water of the earth. This has been the good wind. Whew.